by the green woods laugh with a voice of joy and the dimpling stream runs laughing by when the air does laugh with a merry wit and the green hill laughs with the noise of it When the meadows laugh with the lively green and the grasshopper laughs in the merry scene when Mary and Susan and Emily with their sweet brown mouths sing ha ha he When the painted bird laughs in the shade where our table with cherries and nuts is spread Oh come live and be merry and join with me in the sweet chorus of ha ha he When the green woods laugh with a voice of joy and the dimpling stream runs laughing by when the air does laugh with a merry wit and the green hill laughs with the noise of it When the meadows laugh with a lively green and the grasshopper laughs in a merry scene when Mary and Susan and Emily with their sweet brown mouths sing ha ha he Laughs in the shade where our table with cherries and nuts is spread. Oh, come live and be merry and join with me in the sweet chorus of ha ha he. And that was Victor Vertuni with the laughing song. So welcome back to Sahaj Radio. I must say. It makes me a little bit sad to see all these leaves falling from the trees. Because it means that summer is over. <sighs> ah well, what to do? Oh, I hope you had a wonderful summer, at least as wonderful as I had. You know, I was so fortunate to spend a few weeks in Cabela, a small village in the mountains of Italy. Now you may ask yourself, that's lovely for you, but why do you tell this on Sahaj Radio? Well, the reason is that there is something very, very special about small little Cabela. Well, one reason is that Shimataji has chosen this village as one of her European homes. Whenever she comes here, she stays at the Palazzo Doria, a beautiful old castle, which she has just donated to the Sahaj Yoga Foundation this summer. But that's not everything. No, 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 no. There was also a big seminar going on and 3,000 yogis from all over the world came to celebrate the aspect of the guru. Do I need to mention that Shimataji was actually there and celebrated with us? No, I don't think so. You already assumed that and it was right to assume. After this amazing seminar, there was a summer art academy. And that happened for the first time and it gave yogis who can't make it to the Sahaj Music School in India a chance to learn Indian classical music and dance from the very same teachers who run the school in India. Also, Theatre of Eternal Values got involved and taught different acting styles. Oh, it was just wonderful and I had a great time catching up with friends I haven't seen for several years. I was so glad to talk to a few fellow artists like Debbie Ackman, a musician from England, Victor Vertuni, an actor from Italy, who actually had organized the whole summer academy, and Caroline Dassel, a young filmmaker from Germany who has just released her latest film Freedom and Liberation, a documentary about Shimataji. And who she is exactly, and what she has to say about herself, you are going to hear after this song.
controls Who's telling you it's safe to meet Who's got the starring role Who's taken over your airplane Who's got their hands on the wheel Who is it whispering in your brain Telling you how you should And that was Debbie Ackman with Guru Mantra. Now coming back to Caroline Dassel, the young filmmaker from Germany who has uh, released her latest film, Freedom and Liberation. And actually, Caroline really wanted to study painting and photography, 
But while she was preparing herself for the application, she had to accept a job in a television studio due to a lack of finances. Ah, well. And the producer prepared his first documentary and asked Caroline if she would be interested in a traineeship. Well, she thought, it's still art and it's combined with nice people in a team. As an artist, ah, you have to work in solitude, so why the heck not try? So she started studying TV and film at Munich University, becoming a documentary filmer and television publicist after having earned a degree in theater science. For the past seven years, Caroline has worked as a documentary producer, director and camera operator. Her early work, Blue Desert, has been broadcasted numerous times at the Education Channel and shown at many festivals where it won first prize at the Cineco in Lisbon, Portugal. Inspired through a newspaper article with the title Magic in Finland's Winter, Caroline produced, directed and wrote a fascinating documentary set in the vast and frozen sea of Finland. Ooh. The work was filmed in 30 degrees minus for over three weeks. Blah. After that icy experience, Caroline finished her final degree related project in India, a country dear to her heart, with a film topic which also intrigued and inspired her, Katak, an art form of Indian classical dance. Caroline is a dedicated student of Katak herself and traveled to learn from Guru Rohini Bhatte, one of the most well-known senior masters. With time and space, the title of her 80-minute documentary, she caught the attention of the province's biggest television channel, who offered her. Caroline's film documents the lifeline of an outstanding artist who can narrate almost 100 years of the cultural history of India and who struggle for her own artistic and spiritual visions. And for her latest project, she once again followed the lifeline of an outstanding lady from India, Srimataji Nirmala Devi. In the 82 minutes long documentary, Caroline transmits Srimataji's vision very clearly to help and enlighten as many people as possible without charging a single penny for her Oh my god! <laughs> and he said, yes, good. 
you are a Sahaja Yogi you need so you practice Sahaja Yoga since many years. But the film crew you took with you, were they yogis too? No. No. So was it very strange and weird to them? <laughs> no, it was really funny. I mean they were very different actually there were also different crew members and uh, and it was sometimes so sweet what they experienced. But the first time we came here for Shimataji's interview, which was the closest and more, most intimate moment with Shimataji. And the day before we met and uh, Philip again was doing an introduction for everybody and uh, we also meditated together and they were sitting there and they were really sweet and <laughs> were not, I mean they didn't have any doubts or anything, they were just saying okay, this guy here, it's okay, we try it out. And I always kept in contact and I said, are you alright, is it okay? And, uh, Sometimes they were doing so sweet jokes, I mean, but always sweet, you know, because they couldn't know what it means to make an arty where you take a tray and uh, have lamps on it and greet somebody with it. So, and they were always saying, hey, well, whom should we film? This lady who was just waving the tray, <laughs> the tray wave. <laughs> so it was really sweet to in their own words. <laughs> That's right. Did they start meditating after the shooting or? No, but uh, I noticed that he in this uh, house now he keeps a photo of Shimataji somewhere. Oh, really? It's a nice place. He keeps a place for her, so it's oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, that's nice. He always, yeah. How was it for you being so close to Shimataji? I mean, there were really different mo moments, very different moments. I think the first time when we did the interview, I was uh, most tensed because I. It's hard to handle. I mean, if you have the like a subtle um, connection to her, and if you're meditating at home and meditating in front of her, maybe in a puja, then everything is clear. But then suddenly you come so close, and then everything becomes so casual, you know, and so I mean professional in a way. When we did the interview, and that was such a different experience. <laughs> I didn't know if I could just be professional or. And there were a lot of very deep moments, not always in uh, like, because I think closeness is not like, it doesn't have to be physical closeness, so this is one part, part. the other part is that there were moments where I felt so close to her during the shoot because I just felt so guided and there were many things just happening out of the blue and I just said wow, and these were the moments when I really noticed that something was happening which I didn't have planned, it was just planned for me in a way, that was when I very close and very so the whole project took like about two years three years three years from beginning till the selling of the DVDs yes <laughs> wow what a journey yeah? yes yeah. I see from one book that human beings are created as human beings we have within us a power I call it as Kundalini. This is kept in the triangular room. It is sleeping there. So when you awaken that Kundalini, she passes through these various aspects of her life. And she enlightens them. I saw the movie and it's fantastic. If we would live in Germany, we would be able to see it on television this month. But we don't live there, so we have to buy the DVD. 
Ja, dann also mit Debbie Eggman, a wonderful musician and songwriter from London, UK. You already heard one of her songs in the beginning of the show. And now I am going to play another one before I tell you more about her and run the chit chat we had. Debbie in Nagpur, where we both studied Indian classical singing. And the reason why she was in Nagpur is the fault of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. <laughs> really, believe it or not. Not that she knows them personally, far away from that. But she used to sell t-shirts and souvenirs at Wembley Arena in London. And of course, she saw many, many, many concerts. And one night, she sold t-shirts when Jimmy Page and Robert Plant gave a fusion rock concert with Arabic instruments. And that not only blew her away, but it also gave her the impulse to study music in India. How long have you been playing music? Um, I've only been playing guitar about 13 years, but before that I was always 
studying music. I mean, from a child I was studying music and singing. The whole house was full of very nice singers. So my dad had a beautiful voice and all the family, we always had loads of music in the house. 19, I went to drama school. I'd been trying for a couple of years, like auditioning, and then it was the first one that actually decided that they would take me. And so I wanted to put together the acting and the singing and the dancing and everything because I couldn't quite separate them. I wanted to do it. And then, yeah, for a few years, I was really trying very hard to, to go into acting and it wasn't really working out, so I gave up. And at that point, I came into Sahaja Yoga and um, started hearing all these Indian music. And, and at first, I was like, I wasn't quite sure how to understand it. I didn't understand anything about it. But I loved the rhythm, especially of the tabla. That was the first thing my ear went, oh, yeah, I really like that. And then gradually, gradually, I, I understood more and, and, and could appreciate it more. And then at one point, I just thought, oh, I really want to, to write my own songs somehow. And um, it just slowly evolved from that. And then uh, I went to Nagpur, Baba Mama's Academy, in 1996, where I met you. <laughs> And um, <clears throat> it sort of sowed the seed because it wasn't long enough to really absorb it all. It was just like, okay, I can just about start with it. But by then I'd already started writing my own songs and I knew that I wanted to mix uh, all these styles together somehow. But then the desire grew even more again to go back to the academy and uh, at one point it was just like, okay, I have to go now. So in 98, 99 I went again and this was a long period, so I went for five and a half months. And that was the time when I started studying with Arunakte, the Sahaj music. And um, I, yeah, I learned how to do the mantras there. What is the, I mean, the, the mantras, we always see mantras in Sahaja Yoga, but what is the special thing about these mantras? It's using the specific notes of the chakra, because each note, a note has a certain frequency. When the frequency of that note matches, the frequency of the chakra because the chakras are wheels which are spinning and they also have a frequency so this side music theory is if you match the note to the chakra the, fre the frequencies are equal then it really affects the chakra and it activates them and nourishes them um, there's also the other point of it which is different ragas also have a certain feeling or um, mood which affects the chakra and, and the, the combination of the notes of the rag. So the rag is technically means scale, but it also means a mood or a feeling, which is why you have evening rags, morning rags, sunshine rags, uh, rain rags, whatever. And uh, so uh, in this music theory, Sahaj music theory, you, you start to understand how the different rags can affect the chakras and you feel it on a vibrational level. So on my CD, a lot of the compositions are what I already learned with Aaron. In the class, we would repeat the same ones, <clears throat> and then, and then once once I understood the concept, then I could start composing my own and feel for myself. Okay, this this rag is maybe fitting that chakra, and then I composed composed the mantra.
I've sung for friends or whatever, um, and they completely get it. It, it. it just goes so deep inside the chakra that you can't fail to feel it. So um, it's a really nice way to give realization with this if you're able to sing people or even just play it. So this CD has been bought in lots of countries now, and I'm really happy when I get reports back that, oh, we used it in our center for new people and stuff. So it really, it, it really works amazing. Which is great. And, uh, so on that CD, there, uh, I can see this on the cover. There are certain mantras for uh, certain chakras. Mm -hmm. So if you have a problem with left heart, for example, mm -hmm. you can play this mantra and you get healed. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's uh, immediate, but it, <laughs> it can work. I mean, when I was learning them, I was going through a really uh, quite a tough time emotionally, and I found by singing them and using them every day, slowly I came back into balance again. And it's, it's working out, okay, sometimes you're left-sided, but you actually need to hear more the right-side ragas. Because it doesn't, it's like, the left side is much more using the flat notes. And the right side is quite similar to the center side, because there's only, when you do uh, music theory, the right side, it only, it's mostly normal notes, like, like a major scale, the only one note is sharpened. So in that way, the center and the right is quite, similar um, but yeah you, you can feel it on yourself like when I first started singing Aaron, Aaron would say oh you need to sing more 
sing more the left side. But actually, because I was already so left-sided, I needed to sing more the center to bring myself back in. So you just feel for yourself, how, you know, if you start using it a lot. So it, like, it nourishes, but it, it can also, yeah, bring you into the balance. So, but you still need to meditate. Hard. You still need to meditate, absolutely. Yeah, it's just an extra tool for it because nothing replaces mother. You know, mm -hmm. you just have, you always have to sit and focus on that. But it's an extra tool to just take you maybe a little bit deeper than you would if you were just sitting because it, it stops the thoughts. Music as a healing tool. Yes, exactly. So, which one is your favorite song on your little EP? On my little EP? I think I'm most happy with the lesson.
Last but not least, I had a talk with Victor Vetuni about his CD, William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience. And it took him, believe it or not, but it took him 21 years to record. Yeah, it was a sort of a life dream fulfillment, which proved once more that nothing is impossible. But hear for yourself. Blake wrote the words. Uh, in fact, you didn't, don't really, you could just edit his work and produce a blank. You know? um, he composed tunes to accompany his songs and he often performed them to select groups of friends in this, um, literary tea parties or evenings you know and, and, uh, and so he was um, I mean there are lots of episodes of his life that are very theatrical very dramatic I mean uh, for example he sort of single-handedly took on the uh, Royal Academy of Art you know and sort of denounced the sort of establishment for basically um, reducing art to a kind of decorative, um, almost nat naturalistic thing, uh, which was de devoid of any real meaning, any real uh, depth, and, and uh, also very restricted in its technique, you know. And so he left the Royal Academy, um, and uh, Joshua Reynolds, who was the art, the the sort of uh, doyen of art. I mean, what he said was art. He said it wasn't art. It wasn't art. You know, and and this also had an effect on on people's uh, artists, obviously life as well, and what they could sell. And uh, I mean, Blake was actually um, outside the market in a sense. I mean, he, he made big sacrifices uh, economically uh, to to be independent. You know. The thing about Blake is to realize he was a multimedia avant-garde artist. He was breaking new ground. Um, he was the multimedia artist of his time. Nowadays, he would be probably making a film. You know, he would probably be a sort of um, amazing film director you know, rather than a visual artist. He would be using the most powerful medium of his age, of our age, which is cinema and music. You know, he'd be working probably in different media, I imagine. There is actually um, an interaction with his poetry, you know, which produces creativity in the person. So for me, his poetry stimulated my creativity, and I think he leaves room and space for for that. You know, there's no definitive version of the songs of incident experience. I think he probably, he, you know, because he used to sing them himself. The tunes existed, but um, he didn't fix it. We, we we have an invitation, if we like, to interpret his poetry ourselves. I started sort of composing them when I was 20, and the CD came out when I was 40, 41. So it took 20 years. Um, because I'm not a singer, I'm not a musician, and it was all. But but it was I did it in the end. I mean it's like, um, and, and also very busy. So like maybe two or three songs a year. You know. People liked them and started saying to me, "Oh, please make a recording." And they'd actually record me, you know, sometimes. And, and I even, you know, would hear occasional bootlegs, you know, badly bad recordings of, of a sort of jamming session in some ashram, and it was actually being circulated and really bad quality. And people said, "God, it's one of those precious things that I have." And you know, really loving. I thought, okay, right, let's not be sort of um, 
let's just admit that people like them and let's just make a decent recording, which I did in the end at my own expense um, in a small recording studio near where I live. Produced it myself. A lot of people like it. Did you get feedback from non-yogis? Yes, yes, very positive, incredibly positive. And I've often, and the song they love the most, which is very gratifying, I think, for all of us, is the Ganesha Aarti, which is not Blake's song, of course, but I put there as the first song, just as a sort of um, tribute to Sri Ganesha for auspiciousness. And they love the Ganesha Aarti, which is Sanskrit. You know, Blake has been very important for me as an inspiration, an artistic inspiration of things. I mean, he's a kind of hero uh, because he's the artist, um, visionary prophet, you know, we're sort of an archetype for, for Sahaja Yogis, uh, if you like, somebody who doesn't compromise, who has a sword in his hand, stands up for truth and, and justice, social justice, and also highlights all the negative qualities uh, that have to be overcome and so people recognize them in themselves, you know. So there's a constant battle going on, uh, being represented in Blake's poetry, which is the battle of the human psyche. But what is the reason for the production? He was one of the people who was the protagonist in a, in a sort of period of revolution when there was a kind of wave, a beginning of a wave towards freedom from political oppression, uh, an attempt to, to obtain economic justice, to denounce certain social conditions, etc. And as an artist, he was very sensitive to this, and he portrayed uh, some of these things in his artwork, in the songs, and it's an experience he denounces the cruelty towards children, for example, neglect of children, exploitation of children, the attack on innocence, an age in which it seems, I mean, England, which is supposed to be the heart of the universe, had this complete insensitivity towards the fate of children. And so he was trying to awaken or reawaken people's conscience, being on the left side, that the, the feelings, and uh, had, which had completely dried up and become hard as stone, he was trying to open that up. Um, so he was tremendously powerful. He was the artist prophet in that sense. But coming back to why, uh, why Blake? Because it's a call to humanity to awaken from its spiritual sleep, from its... Um, how should we say, it's um, complete surrender, quest of material wealth and wealth and a sort of materialistic view of human happiness. And this is a, a, a challenge to that, to say, uh, you know, again, call people to, 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 to rise up from their inertia, their complacent lifestyle, and realize that there's a barrier to be broken through in terms of uh, human consciousness, in terms of being able to obtain a sort of higher level, higher, higher state of consciousness. And that's the artist's role, to, to, to awaken that sense of a higher form of existence, higher awareness, etc. So he's, you know, um, this seems to be the right thing at the right time, because um, there's also a lot of confusion at the moment, um, a loss of sense of uh, the, the, the meaning of life, and also feeling that God has abandoned humanity, um, and, and, and Blake's message is that God is within you of the divine being and so each cell in that divine being can be awakened and, and renew itself and, and achieve a sort of collective consciousness this is the strong meaning, uh, message in play to mercy pity peace and love or pray in their dis
unto these virtues of delight return the thankfulness for mercy pity peace and love is god our father dear and mercy pity peace and love is man his child and care for mercy has a human heart shape so I said hush Tom never mind it for when your head's bare you know that the suit cannot spoil your white hair and 
So he was quiet on that very night As Tom was a-sleeping he had such a sight That thousands of sweepers, Dick, Joe, Ned or Jack Were all of them locked up in coffins of black And by came an angel who had a bright key Opened the coffins and set them all free Then down a green plain leaping laughing they run And washing the river and shine in the sun They're naked and white all their bags left behind They rise upon clouds and sport in the wind And the angel told Tom if he'd be a good boy He'd have God for his father and never with our bags and our brushes to work Though the morning was cold, Tom was happy and warm So if all do their duty, they need not fear harm When my mother died, I was very young And my father sold me while yet my tongue Scarcely cry, weep, 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 weep. So your chimneys I sweep and in soot I sleep. Ah, yeah. There is music within the poetry. And the wonderful thing about Blake is he his greatest legacy to, to, to human humanity is his work, of course, but also the ability to inspire the creativity of others. It's www.williamblakesongs.com With a few samples, you can hear some of the tracks. But there's also, um, I'm on Indie 911, which is an independent musician's um, uh, website where you can download the, some of the MP3s. That's it for our show today. My name is Gita Pedersen, and please tune in again next Friday at 2 p.m. when I tell you everything about the amazing summer academy we had in Italy. Bye!